Welcome to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. Tonight we're talking about the ambivalence of Canadians on the pandemic. We're also going to be talking about acute and chronic pain. The prevalence of chronic pain amongst adults is 34% and is more common in women than in men. What a shocker. What can be done about pain? Tune into the show. What are some of the relationship killers? You are going to want to listen to this. And also, do you worry? Do you feel like you're being productive when you worry? Turns out it's not good for your physical or mental health. The Sunday Night Health Show podcast starts now. We're going to be talking about relationships and and pain, and that can be related to relationships or acute or chronic pain, which many Canadians suffer. We're also going to be talking about pleasure and worrying. It's not too pleasurable to be worrying all the time, so I'm going to tell you about what that does to your body and immune system, and a lot of people worry, believe you me. Although we cover a variety of health subjects on the program, the show is not a replacement for a visit to your doctor. We've got lots to talk about on the program tonight, but right now... And now, Maureen's Health Headline. You are killing it, Julie. That was the best intro I've had. Maria Mario Canseco joins me on the line. He's the president of Research Co. and a columnist at Business in Vancouver. And we are here to talk about the ambivalence that Canadians have about COVID. Speaking as a COVID virgin, I am not the least bit ambivalent about my feelings on it. <laughs> yes, you heard that right. A COVID virgin. <laughs> Knock on wood. I am one person <laughs> who has not yet, knock on wood, as I say, my head, um, gotten COVID, to my knowledge, because there are some reports out there that say, Mario, and welcome to the show, um, you may not have known that you had it, but to be honest, I have been tested, 80% of the last two years I've been tested with a PCR test three times a week, so... I don't think I've had it. And and I was sick twice in those two years and was tested during that time as well and came up negative. So, um, you know, you wrote a very interesting article for Business of Vancouver recently and posted it on LinkedIn, which is where I saw it. So Canadians are ambivalent about COVID. What what is happening with COVID? What, what is going on out there, Mario? Well, I think the first really interesting issue that comes out of the data when we ask questions to Canadians about COVID-19 is how many are reporting that they got sick after the restrictions and mandates ended in their province. Uh, When we asked the question back in May, 23% of Canadians said COVID entered my household. I was sick. Somebody in my household was sick. And when we asked this question again in July, it had gone up to 37%. So we're talking about Uh a third of Canadians who didn't have COVID when the restrictions and mandates were implemented in their provinces, who are now saying that they became infected. So you would assume that they would be the same people who would say it was a mistake to go back. We got to bring back restrictions and mandates. Uh, It was a mistake to essentially not do what we were doing for the past couple of years. And what we find is that they're saying, "Eh, I got COVID-19, I'm vaccinated, but I still think it was a good thing to go back to our daily lives. Right. And, you know, a lot of people feel that it's just a cold. Um, But, you know, and for many, many people, and most people, in fact, they get cold symptoms, but 1300 people still died in the US and 100 and something in Canada. 
um, every day is what we're seeing. So people are still dying from it. One in eight people, according to a Dutch study, uh, has long COVID symptoms, which can result in muscle aches, fatigue, uh, issues with you know lung capacity, breathing issues, respiratory issues. Um, it's not something I want to get. And although the mandates have been dropped, I have not dropped mine. <laughs> I have to say, I still wear a mask. I've heard so many people say, I'm the only one wearing a mask in, you know, the supermarket or wherever, you know, they'd say I would be the only one friends and family. (laughs) And, um, first I remove them from the will immediately. And, uh, um, but but secondly, I think I don't care. Yeah. I'm the only one wearing a mask when I go in there. I realize that I don't care. I'm not getting sick. I, I, I had an uncle who was hilarious. He's since passed away, but, when the um, new guidelines for wearing seatbelts in the car came into place, he was the first one to buckle up. And, and, and one of his sons was very upset by this and said, you know, I'm taking this as a fact that you don't really believe that I'm a good driver. And he replied, if I knew when you were going to crash, I would put it a block before, but I don't. So <laughs> I think the same kind of situation applies to masks. You know, if it's something that is making you feel safe and it's the best way to go, I think that is definitely something that should continue to happen. And this is what we're getting from many Canadians at this stage of the pandemic. The fact that there are many who continue to believe that even if the restrictions and mandates aren't there, it's in their best interest to continue to behave as if they are being mandated to protect themselves. Uh-huh. You know, I don't have an autoimmune disease. I'm not on any medications. Knock on wood. I'm healthy. I don't really have any risk factors. And I, and I think that, you know, if I walk into a store and I'm the only one with a mask on, I think people must think that I, you know, am under chemotherapy or maybe I'm autoimmune disease or or something for some reason, but I really don't care what they think. And I, I do feel better. I do feel that masks work and um, I really don't want to get COVID. There's also some evidence to support that there is an impact on um, cognitive decline, uh, you know, cognitive impairment some people go through or, or may go through after having had COVID. It's just not something I want to get. So I'm not ambivalent about it. What are some of the other statistics that uh, you were revealed in the survey? Well, one thing we wanted to get into is what is the appetite going to be for something that resembles a return of the restrictions and mandates that we had in 2020 and 2021? This is the assumption that once the fall hits and the weather gets colder and we start to have more cases, what would happen if our health authorities suddenly decide that we're not going to the stadiums at full capacity, that we are going to require vaccine passports Uh to go to restaurants? And what we see is that there's not a lot of animosity towards Canadians to the idea of something like that happening. 63% who say, I'm okay with a reduction of capacity at venues 60% who say, I'm okay if I need to have proof of vaccination to go to a restaurant or a public event. And 66% who say, if you tell me that I need to wear a mask when I go out, I will do it. So this isn't as polarizing as many people would lead us to believe, particularly when it comes to social media. You know, people are taking care of themselves. But if the health authorities suddenly told us that we had to go back to the way life was six months ago, very few Canadians would be upset by it. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be the least bit upset. There's a part of me that, you know, I, I remember speaking to a flight attendant and she said I, she had gotten COVID 
Um, and this was just after they had removed the masks in the U.S. And she said, I wish the government would tell us to put the mask back on. I thought, you know, the government doesn't have to tell you to do anything. You can tell yourself. <laughs> you can actually make that decision yourself. Um, you know, oftentimes it was it was very much politicized, as we know, uh, COVID-19 was politicized throughout North America. And, um, and, and so people all of a sudden, you know, they didn't like the government telling them to do something, but then when the government told them to do something else, they were okay with that. Well, it's been a, a significant roller coaster on a political basis. And, and what's really fascinating to me looking into the way this whole thing happened is we had a federal election. We had candidates who were calling out people who were saying that the mandates were a mistake, who were... Uh, actively recruiting candidates who felt COVID-19 was a hoax. And the People's Party of Canada ended up with no seats and less than 5% of the vote. So that is the actual uh, extent uh, of how this political view is going to be seen by most Canadians. You know, they might be getting a lot of fear on social media, but once you count the votes, it's not even enough to elect a single member of parliament. Yeah, when once you get down to the brass tacks. <laughs> Mario Conseco, president of Research Co. and a columnist at Business in Vancouver, is my guest. We are talking about the ambivalence that Canadians feel over COVID-19 in light of the CDC updating its guidance in terms of social distancing and quarantining on Thursday because the agency says the virus presents a lower risk of severe disease, hospitalization, and death than it did at the start of 2020. The pandemic is by no means over, but it's a time now where we have to move to a place where it doesn't disrupt our daily lives. That from the CDC. Mario, thanks so much for staying on the line with this COVID virgin who still doesn't want to get it. (laughs) I don't care if it's less. (laughs) I really don't care. Um, I actually hate to be sick. Nobody likes, nobody despises being sick as much as I do. And if I get sick, I get a chest infection. So... (laughs) respiratory is where it attacks me. Some people get GI, some people get fevers, muscle aches. No, I get respiratory, so I don't want to get it. Anyway, um, we talked a little bit about how you, Canadians are united on some fronts. How, where does the ambivalence lie with Canadians, according to your survey? Well, more than anything, I think it's related to the way in which those who have been affected by COVID-19 after the restrictions and mandates ended are feeling about the decision uh, to head into this new stage of the pandemic. My expectation was if COVID-19 affected your household, if you lost time of work, if you had to take care of a loved one who had COVID-19 and you had to go through all of the protocols of being in different rooms and making sure that nobody is near each other, you might be more likely to believe that it was a mistake to go back on the restrictions and mandates, but the differences are negligible at best. You know, people who didn't have Mm -hmm. COVID-19 and those who had COVID-19 are saying, well, it was kind of bound to happen. Uh, We have a majority of Canadians who believe it's only a matter of time before everybody catches it. And also 54% who believe as long as you're vaccinated, this isn't going to be that bad. So this is a very distinct way of looking into COVID-19 as when it was uh, back in April or May of 2020, when nobody wanted to get this and nobody was saying, it's okay, it's just a cold. What a stark difference. I mean, my thing is, yes, it may very well be a cold, but who knows the long-term impact that COVID-19 can have on your cardiovascular system, your neurological system, and other systems in the body. Fertility, 
um, for example. I mean, who knows? And it's just not something I really feel like risking myself. Um, but, you know, I've heard so many people say, you know, it's not bad. I was actually invited to something and I said, oh, is it indoors? <laughs> they said, yes. I said, oh, forget it. I'm not going. <laughs> I will only go outdoors. And, um, and she said, oh, come on. I had COVID. It's, it's, um, it's nothing. You know, but it's like I'm I'm still not going into indoor restaurants. These are the practices that I have put into place. <laughs> um, there's lots you could do outside. There's so much you can do outdoors, <laughs> including eating outdoors, even when it's bitter cold out, which I have done, um, because I just I know that the risk increases indoors. So um, what was the most surprising thing, Mario, about the Canadians ambivalent over COVID survey? I think the most surprising thing is that even though we're ambivalent about what is surrounding us, we continue to look at this as something that is serious. When I asked in May, we had 76% of Canadians who said the worst of COVID-19 is behind us. And you look at the entire pandemic, you look at the desperation about getting vaccinated or getting that second shot or getting the booster or what was happening when you had the prime minister addressing the country every day from outside of his home. You know, those moments where everybody thought, yeah, this is this is doomsday. This is definitely going to get worse. And we hit 76 percent of Canadians in May who said it's now behind us. This last time that we asked in late July, it was 68 percent. So it's starting the, to shift the other way. The pendulum is coming back. And now you have a significantly smaller proportion of Canadians who are saying that this isn't going to get worse. And obviously, as we head into the fall season, as we start to be more worried about the effects that this is going to have. And it's impossible, especially if you're going back to an office setting, uh, to be away from people. Are we going to have more Canadians concerned about COVID-19? Frankly, I thought May was going to be the last time I asked about COVID-19, but uh, it looks like it's going to be here for another few months. Oh, I, th- I think it's going to be here for another few years, actually. Um, not yeah. to, <laughs> with, all, with all due respect, Mario. But I of also course. think that we're heading toward a trifecta in the, in the fall with the flu. COVID-19 and monkeypox. I actually think we're going to be looking at a a very, very different situation. Mario, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Anytime, Maureen. All right. Stay well. That's Mario Canseco, president of Research Co. and a columnist at Business in Vancouver. Uh, You can Google his article, Canadians Ambivalent Over COVID. I'm not. I'm one of those Canadians that is not. Pain, acute or chronic pain, pain. Most Canadians can relate to having experienced some kind of pain. It's everyday pain. There's sexual pain. There's menstrual pain, all different kinds of pain. And it's a real pain to experience pain. Well, joining me on the line is Dr. Nardine Nakla. She's a pharmacist and professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. And she's here to talk about Canadians' pain management for pain Awareness Month. Good evening, Dr. Nakla. Good evening, Maureen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining me on the program. This is such a common health issue. In fact, right now, I'm just getting over a little bit of a low back pain <laughs> myself. I um, lifted a, a new paddleboard in its box and duffel bag and everything, and I just leaned over in the wrong way, picked it up, and you know, had mild pain all week long. So I'm certainly no no. stranger. I know. I'm certainly no stranger to pain. Um, And it it does affect your everyday life, sleeping, everything, your mood. 
Um, but what is Absolutely. everyday pain? Great question, Maureen, and I'm so sorry to hear about that. That, that is definitely uh, tough. Low back pain is very common, and it's certainly unpleasant. So I'm happy to talk about everyday pain, you know, sexual and menstrual pain, but I think it's important to just define what pain is. And so the International Association for the Study of Pain defines it as an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience that's associated with either actual or potential tissue damage in your body. So as you said, pain is um, something we all experience at different times, and it's always subjective. So every individual can kind of describe um, their pain differently. And unfortunately, there isn't any kind of laboratory test or imaging device that can be performed to assess someone's pain. So we really, as pharmacists and as clinicians, rely on the most accurate um, uh, and the, the most accurate description of pain from a patient to help us rule in and rule out certain types of conditions. So, you know, giving the most accurate and reliable um, description of your pain can really help us in, in helping you. Um, you mentioned a little bit about, you know, pain being classified as acute or chronic. So what you're experiencing right now, unfortunately, is acute pain, and that's your uh, body's alarm system. So what happens is it's, it's really, again, your body's alarm system, so it signals that there's been some kind of injury by tissue damage. So we see that with sports injuries or, you know, burns, for example, or trauma. Um, it's usually temporary, thankfully, and, and it resolves um, as the injury heals. And that can last, you know, minutes to several weeks at a time. Chronic pain is pain that persists longer than three months. And, and three months is kind of that number that, you know, we expect to see tissue healing occur within. Um, and so chronic pain really persists longer than three months, and it's pain that's not associated with malignancy. Very interesting. Um, you know, so as a pharmacist, uh, uh, people are coming into you, patients are coming in to you to ask your advice about their pain? Absolutely. So they come in all the time and they talk about, you know, some of the everyday types of pain, so things that could be caused by their menstrual cramps. Uh, Tension-type headaches are very, very common. Sports injuries are common. Uh, osteoarthritis, low back pain. Um, and even now, you know, some post-vaccine side effects, they can complain of some pain in their, in their arm where they receive the vaccine. So, yeah, patients present regularly in the pharmacy complaining of various types of aches and pain, some that are classified as acute and some that are classified as chronic. And so we really help them work through that and figure out what the best therapies would be for them. And so how common is this everyday type of pain that's just associated with, with life, basically? Sexual pain, menstrual pain, everyday pain, where people are just having, as you mentioned, injuries, um, you know, or they, maybe they move the wrong way, or sports injuries, headaches, that kind of thing. How common? Who's affected by it? Great question. Everyone. So there's a very high prevalence of pain in Canada, 76%, which is about three in four Canadians will suffer from various types of body pain at least once per week. And that includes, you know, pain in your muscles, your tendons, your ligaments, your joints, um, headache pain. So it's one of the most common conditions for which individuals will go and seek uh, medical care. It actually accounts for up to 78% uh, of visits to the emergency department, and that's according to both Canadian and U.S. surveys. So very common and occurs, at, you know, throughout the lifespan. So no, nobody can really um, escape this 
kind of ailment. And what, what I didn't stress, but I do want to make sure everyone's aware of is we have to realize that all chronic pain begins as acute pain. So we really mm-hmm. must try to manage patients during that acute fa- pain phase um, in order to reduce their vulnerability to chronic pain. And we should really treat it as much as possible to maximize healing in order to reduce the chances of it progressing to chronic pain, which could really be quite debilitating. Wow, very interesting. Now, I didn't go into the pharmacy, but I wish I had, in a way. Um, What would you have said to me if I presented with low back pain from, you know, lifting something incorrectly, not using my legs, I just bent over in a rush, picked it up, grabbed it. Um, And what would you have recommended for an acute injury such as myself, low back pain? Interesting. So um, we would go through and get a very thorough history on you. And we would want to make sure that, you know, there was an action that was performed that caused this pain to come on. It didn't just come on spontaneously. We would ask about a number of what we call red flag signs and symptoms. Make sure that you're not presenting with anything that would be alarming or potentially indicative of something more serious. And then once we've kind of gone through all of that and established that this is kind of an acute low back pain situation, we would recommend a, a variety of both uh, non-drug therapies and drug therapies as well to help you. But that would all be customized based on your medical history and your, and your current um, medications that you're taking because we have to be very careful to not give you something that you're already on or to potentially, um, uh, that could potentially lead to an overdose of a certain ingredient if we do that. So, we, you know, there isn't one answer to your question. It was it's a very customized approach that we take that involves a thorough assessment and then uh, a plan that's individualized to you. But there's always going to be drug therapies and non-drug therapies associated with that as well. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine over-the-counter medications and, and maybe ice. But, you know, to be honest with you, I just, let it, I just wrote it out this week. <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought I didn't even do the ice. I didn't even do the OTCs and, you know, no, probably no. took me a little bit longer to heal. Um, but, you know, so this sorry is a subject. To hear that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm better now. Don't worry. I'll be back on the board okay. soon. Um, why is it important that we talk about pain? Because, I mean, really, I didn't tell anybody about this. You know, maybe I mentioned it to a few relatives, family members uh, might know, but you know, why should we talk about pain? Yeah, good question. So, um, and like you said, you know, before I even address this, so many will just deal with it on their own, right? And they won't, and it's Uh just pain, it's common. I, I just need to suck it up and deal with it. And that doesn't need to be the case. We do, as pharmacists, we can recommend a number of therapies that can really help you. We have a number of ingredients, you know, we have ibuprofen and acetaminophen and things like that that can real that have a very proven safety record and efficacy record for pain that can really help with that pain. And we really, again, want to prevent the progression towards chronic pain, which is why it's so important to talk about it. We want to manage it early and we want to effectively relieve it to prevent that progression towards chronic pain without needing to overprescribe when it's too late or dispensing more analgesics that are than necessary to control it or things that, you know, obviously with the opioid epidemic, we are now just more cognizant of what we're giving folks for pain. So we want to talk about it so we can manage it early, effectively treat it, and prevent the progression. It's also really important because pain places this emotional and financial burden on patients and their families. 
So if you're not managing it adequately, it can result in, um, you know, increased rates of like readmission to hospitals or more outpatient visits and just this reduced ability to fully function normally. So that would lead to, you know, lost income and perhaps lost insurance coverage that way. And so it's just this um, domino effect that we really want to prevent by talking about it more. It, absolutely. And as I said, I mentioned it to my family and they, they, the impact was on them too. My guest is Dr. Nardine Nakla. She is a pharmacist and a professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. We're talking about Canadians' pain management for Pain Awareness Month. Thanks so much for staying on the line, Dr. Nakla. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Uh, we pretty much covered that everyday pain. And um, one question I had, though, in terms of, for those of you who missed that I had a, a slight acute injury last week by lifting something the wrong way, um, it did impact my exercise. But also, I noticed that when I got up and started moving, my back pain was better. How can exercise be impacted when somebody is suffering with pain? And, um, you know, how important is it uh, to in treating uh, back pain or any type of pain? Well, Maureen, you're very smart because that is absolutely something we recommend for low back pain, especially up and moving. It's, it's not good to lay down and just stay bedridden all day. So what you did was great for that. And exercise certainly has a role depending on the type of pain. Um, sometimes, you know, certain sports injuries, you need to kind of lay off of whatever caused that injury. So, uh, you know, certain times it is definitely induced by running, for example. So you want to, you know, not run and do other things. However, exercise can play a beneficial role in many different types of pain. And one of the ones that comes to mind is menstrual pain. So uh, dysmenorrhea or painful menses, uh, cramps that happen with the onset of menses or with your period, those ones, you know, exercise is great. Regular physical exercise has actually been shown to help relieve some of the uh, menstrual pain that can occur. That's excellent. I, I never would have thought of that. And who hasn't suffered with menstrual pain if you're a, a woman, um, which can be debilitating for many people, but you know, to think that exercise would be beneficial. How about um, uh, diet? Does diet play a role in terms of pain management? Yeah, and that's another good question. And just to speak to your other point about uh, menstrual pain, you know, it affects anywhere from 45 to 95% of menstruating women. So a huge portion of our population. And despite its really high prevalence, it usually goes underdiagnosed or undertreated. So that's a big problem. Um, but to speak to the diet piece, diet is always going to be important, um, whether we're talking about dysmenorrhea or other things. So, you know, the quality of your diet, how nutrient dense it is, uh, weight management, all those things are components of pain physiology. So having proper nutrition is really going to be required for all the cells in your body to function optimally. And immune cells are no exception to that as well. So to have strong immune system, to have... Um, for pain as well, all of that, you need really good diet quality and nutrient density. And so when it comes to dysmenorrhea specifically, so menstrual cramps, there's been lots of studies now that have suggested that increasing omega-3 fatty acids, which of course are found in, you know, fish and fish oil, that's actually going to lead to a decrease in the production of what we, the, the 
prostaglandins that we know are going to cause the painful period. So, you know, diet can never, ever, ever be overlooked, um, even with pain conditions. Yeah, diet seems to play a role and good nutrition seems to play a role in so much. And I did want to point out that so many menstruating women lose time at work. There's a lot of absenteeism around menstrual pain, which is also unrecognized um, by a lot of workplaces. And, and I think that's another reason that we need to talk about pain. It's such an important subject. And I'm so glad you're here tonight oh, yeah. to, to talk about it. Um, now, sexual pain. This is something that I actually deal with my patients with. Many postmenopausal women will complain of dyspareunia or painful sex. It will lead to low sexual desire. It can lead to intimacy issues and relationship issues. It can even lead to divorce. Is sexual pain something that women are presenting to you, uh, to pharmacists across the country, to talk about and to get treatment for? You know, they are, but oftentimes they're too embarrassed to speak about it. So we try to encourage our pharmacists to really get out there in the OTC aisles of the pharmacy and speak to people, people who are out there looking for pain relief, people who are out there looking for, you know, lubrication, any, anything like that, to speak to them about what it is they're trying to treat. Because we know dyspareunia, it varies. It can be up to 18% of the population um, uh, worldwide. And so like you said, it is something that um, does present. It absolutely happens. And it could be because of many different things, right? It could, it could be because of certain medications that are known to affect your sexual desire or arousal that can make, you know, um, sex more painful. It could be because of certain conditions like endometriosis and other things. So it absolutely is a thing. And speaking about it is how we're going to get to the bottom of really treating the cause of this pain. That's right. And when we talk about postmenopausal uh, pain, vaginal dryness or genitourinary syndrome of menopause, which includes vaginal dryness in that diagnosis, uh, along with uh, leakage of urine, uh, many women don't know what to do. And, and oftentimes their doctors don't know what to do either. But it's very important that they're treated with either a personal moisturizer, uh, lubricants during sex, or low-dose localized estrogen therapy. 70% of women experience vaginal dryness, uh, and only about 5% of women are treated. So this, I'm very passionate about this subject. There are lots of options um, available for women. But is this a conversation that you uh, encourage women to have with their physicians? You know what? I encourage them to speak to whoever they can, their pharmacists and their physicians, if possible, or nurse practitioners. And I think, um, you know, depending on the individual, they will get a thorough medical history. They may conduct a pelvic exam or order test. Um, pharmacists are going to review their meds and medical conditions to ensure they're not contributing to the pain. Um, and then we, we deal with that accordingly. We can refer at times. We can do other things. But absolutely, I always encourage all patients, speak about your pain, speak up, tell us what you're experiencing so we can get you what help you need. And, you know, things like menstrual cramps, those can be managed so easily in a pharmacy by a pharmacist because we know the drugs we have, like the ibuprofen, that's what's going to really help them if they're using it properly and dosing it at the time that they're getting their period and dosing it around the clock for the first, you know, three days. Um, other types of pain that can occur, like perennial pain, for example, after childbirth, 
that could be managed by a pharmacist as well. We have new products now with acetaminophen combined with ibuprofen in one product, so Advil plus acetaminophen. And that can do a number of things, make it easier um, for a person who maybe is alternating these drugs um, on the dose it on their own. It makes it easier to do it in a safer way. And it could be used for everything from, you know, those sports injuries, your low back pain, for example, um, to things like um, uh, perennial pain, uh, post-vaccination, side effect pain, all of that as well. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was fantastic information. And um, I really appreciate you coming on the program to talk about pain and, and how Canadians manage pain for this Pain Management Awareness Month. Really appreciate it, Dr. Nakla. Thank you so much, Brett. You're very welcome. That was Dr. Nardine Nakla, pharmacist and professor at the School of Pharmacy at the University of Waterloo. You got questions? She's got answers. The nurse is in for Nurse Talk. Welcome to the second hour of the Sunday Night Health Show. Thank you so much for being with me this evening. Uh, In this hour, we're going to be talking about the benefits of sexual wellness. And I might just have a little prize to give away. That'll be in the next half hour. So stay tuned. Uh, Also going to be talking about excessive worry, anxiety, and what that can do to your physical and emotional health. But right now, we're going to talk relationships. If you're in a relationship, whether it be a professional or interpersonal relationship, you've probably heard you're not listening to me, or you've probably said it. It's the oldest complaint in the history of relationships. He, she, or they is not listening to me. More relationships and marriages end due to the complaint that the significant other is not listening. Joining me on the line to discuss this is Christine Miles. She's not only a professional keynote speaker, consultant, a coach, a thought leader, entrepreneur, and recognized world expert in the field of listening differently. She is the author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling book, What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? The Power of Understanding to Connect, Influence, Solve, and Sell. Good evening, Christine. Uh, Good evening. Thank you for having me on and thank you for that preface. I appreciate it more than you can imagine. (laughs) My pleasure. (laughs) You're Wonder Woman. (laughs) I forgot that part. Uh, You're amazing. Uh, Christine Miles is the author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling book, and we have two copies to give away of What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? The number to call is 1-877-399-9898. That's 1-877-399-9898. So we'll uh, give those books out if you need this in your relationship, and probably everybody needs this in their relationship because Listening is a big problem for people in relationships, whether it be professional or interpersonal. Is that right, Christine? That's right. And just to be clear, that's the part of the preface I was applauding was how you uh, framed the problem that it's, it is really impacting our relationships, both at work and, and interpersonally, and that I think everybody's made that complaint. What You're not listening. We're guilty of it, and we're also letting others know they're guilty of it for a very good reason, because we're, we're failing pretty miserably, and I'm going to just say that it's, it's not anybody's fault, not yet, um, because we're not taught to listen, we're told. 
That's right. And and people are, you know, I wanted to ask you, is it is it because people don't articulate it properly or is it because people want to articulate too much and and we're not taught to just relax, be calm and just listen? Well, I think it's both. I think part of listening, what I believe in and what we promote and teach is that listening isn't just about being passive and hearing what's said. It's really discovering the meaning or the insight in the conversation. And so when you do that, you know, you're helping someone figure something out. That's what, that's what conversations in a large part are aimed to do. And we're not taught how to do that. And so sometimes we're articulating too much and sometimes, you know, we don't know what we're trying to articulate. So we, we have to find ways to help each other in the conversation. Uh, we certainly do. And, you know, you've mentioned uh, in your book mentions that more relationships and marriages, and I imagine, you know, relationships at work and marriages end because of the complaint that the other person in the relationship isn't listening. Well, the number of problems that I've been called in to solve in business and earlier in my career, you know, I'm a trained um, marital and family therapist, a trained structural family therapist, were a lot around listening. So in, in businesses, it's, it's, the, it's so often the root of what's going on. And it's not because I'm angry that you're not listening necessarily. They don't even know what's happening. It's just there's not alignment. There's not an understanding. It's not because it's contentious all the time. It's just because it's not even known because we don't know what good listening looks like. And we're running at such a pace that we're not slowing down enough to really understand that that's the root cause of a lot of the problems. And is that that chronic busyness? Is that what you mean by we're running at such a pace, um, the way that everybody is so busy and also distracted? It's not just a chronic busyness. It's a distraction with social media um, where we have yeah. to display our perfect lives and our perfect photos of ourselves <laughs> and how amazing our life is on the bow of a yacht sipping champagne. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. my life well, every day. <laughs> isn't it true? What do they call it? Facebook, I think is the, uh, the, uh, the term. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's been used. Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously we're in, we're so digitized and we're, there's so many things that we're drawn to uh, screen wise, but that's, that's one of the enemies. I wish that was the only enemy. The, our brains are the greatest enemy of listening uh, because there's so much going on in our subconscious brain that we're not aware of. Uh, and so that's our first enemy. I mean, we're distracted. That's one. Um, we think about what we're going to say rather than listening to what the person's saying. And so we're rehearsing. Right. We have our own judgments. I mean, there's listening and we call them listening inhibitors. There's a laundry list of those. And here's the biggest one. It's, it's problem solving. The biggest, the biggest inhibitor that we get reported, you know, from our clients and participants is I, I want to solve the problem. And, and uh, I rush to that. And they're not aware of it until we start talking about it. And this happens interpersonally as well. We genuinely I don't want to like be sexist here. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't want to be sexist, but um, men have a tendency to want to be the problem solvers. Would you say that when, when communicating in a relationship? You know, I, I, I have to admit that um, I would have been more prone to say that as well, but, but women are pretty guilty of it too. Now, we, we are wired and, and you know, um, physically different than men in our brains. We have a, a bigger connector between our right and left brain. 
So because of the motherhood thing that we're, you know, inherently supposed to be doing. So we are more wired to be able to kind of cross into the emotional and logical together more. But women Mm -hmm. are pretty guilty as well. So I think it's just more obvious with men because of the way they go about it. Maybe less emotion in there or less intimate connection where they're just like, here's your problem. This is the solution. Let's move on. (laughs) Let's go here. That's it. That's right. Um, I see that in a lot of uh, couples in my clinical practice where it's just, you know, and, and, and as you say, their listening persona needs help. There Mm -hmm. are different listening personas, according to your book. Um, What are, what are some styles, if you will, some different listening personas? Well, it's pretty simple. There's really two. So we have, we have our brains that, you know, and just, from a picture standpoint, because pictures help tell stories and stories help us remember. So think of two personas or two pictures. One is a, is a defense attorney and that, that person is listening to the, you know, the person on the stand to shape the story. They're asking questions that are going to help tell the narrative that they have in their minds or that they need to prove their case. We do this all day long with our spouses, our colleagues, you know, the people we sell to our customers, because in our minds, our brains are telling a story all the time, and we want to fulfill that story. And the questions we use or, or the impatience we have can kind of lead it there. Versus the other picture, which is that curious detective. In the old days, it was Columbo for those of us, you know, in, in of that, that era. In the, the modern day, it's the Benjamin Cumberbatch who was, is that curious detective. And really tell, it really allows the story to open up in a more natural way. The, the problem mm-hmm. is we don't know how to, how to go about that. So we need to arm people with the tools so they can kind of soothe their, their brain so that they can be the curious detective rather than shape the story. And, and I love that word curious. I'm, I'm all, always suggesting to patients, um, you know, to use the word curious because I think when we're speaking to other people at times, we can say things that might trigger defensiveness in other people. Mm-hmm. But when you say, you know, I, I'm curious why you, you know, whatever it was, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. didn't mow the lawn or, or whatever we want to say, I'm curious why you didn't, you know, give me a raise or, or whatever. Um, it, it allows somebody to actually hear that better because I think defensiveness, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, releases a stress hormone and, and people get defensive mm-hmm. and, and can overreact or react versus respond. But I think curiosity allows somebody to respond. I think that's, which means I they may have real- listened. Right. And I think, you, like you said, you're opening up the door in a way that's like, I'm not attacking you. I want to understand you. And that's really what mm-hmm. good listening is. Help me understand, not just hear, not just, you know, be able to recount what you said to me, but really get the meaning of it. So when we seek to understand rather than to argue or blame or disagree, we're in a much better paradigm. It's just that that defense attorney and that subconscious brain that's saying whatever story, you never mow the lawn, you never do this, goes into attack mode or into questioning mode in a way that can be negative rather than positive. And so when we're in, a, when we're in disagreement, the, the most um, intuitive thing to do is go to the areas we disagree, when in fact the way to resolve conflict is to find the areas we agree on first. And then that leads to getting to the areas we disagree. Absolutely. And it is that 
resolution of the conflict, you know, oftentimes I, I deal with patients who are in sexless marriages and mm-hmm. there is typically a conflict going on, an unresolved conflict. And it's very difficult, you know, I mean, bringing a listening practice in <laughs> is actually a very yeah. good good idea to actually help them to resolve that. I can use you in my clinical practice, Christine. Um, <laughs> well, Christine what, a, what, a, what a great place to listen is in the bedroom. Come on, let's start there, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That is the first and foremost place where you should be listening. Christine Miles is my guest. She is the author of the critically acclaimed and best-selling book, What Is It Costing You Not to Listen? Julie, did my husband call in requesting a copy? <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't even listen oh, <laughs> to the show. <laughs> but you know what? I'm delighted to see that Tom from New York has called in for a book and mm-hmm. also Dana from Pennsylvania. So we have a couple of winners, which a couple of Americans looks like the uh, Canadians are great listeners, but the Americans need some help. Um, anyway, Christine, thanks so much for staying on the line with me. I'll be bringing My a pleasure. copy home. I'll be bringing a copy home. Don't you worry. Um, anyway, we're talking about listening. And, you know, even when I said, which I always say, you know, thanks for listening. I, I often wonder, you know, if people... And to, not just to my show, but to the radio in general, you don't hear everything. You're you're sometimes hearing just parts of it or, you know, pieces of an interview. I, I'm guilty of it myself if I'm, um, you know, driving in the car and I get a call or whatever. It's interrupted or, you know. Um, and so, yeah, how much we listen in society is, you know, it's just making us mindful of how important it is to listen. And it can lead to so many problems in relationships. What can people do? to improve their listening skills? Well, I, you know, I think uh, just to take a moment to what you just said, I think one of the reasons that podcasts and, and shows like yours are so powerful for people to listen to is because it's really good conversation that's generated. And that as guests, we are given the room to really talk. A, a question's asked and then there's really, it's an, a door open to really explore the subject. And so it's, it, we're not problem solving here. And I think that's so engaging and that's why it engages listeners. And we need to bring that into our, our personal lives. You know, how do we, how do we ask questions in a way that gets our loved ones, our colleagues to tell us more, to, to share more of what they think rather than rushing to the solution or trying to move to the next thing. So, so that's the first thing is just really what are the questions you ask and we can make this really complicated or it's, I think it's really simple and I'll say simple, not easy, simple meaning here are the tools putting them to, into practice, take just that practice. But, but one of the tools of, of the, what we call the listening path and that's the path to understanding is, is what we call the six most powerful questions. And these are, these are curiosity questions that great interviewers and therapists use. And one of them is simply tell me more. When, when you start to say, when your spouse or a loved one says, starts with something, how about you just go, why don't you tell me more instead of let, responding to that? And that's amazing what people will tell you when you ask them that question. Mm-hmm. I've used that myself. Do we, when, when you're in an interpersonal relationship with that, tell me more, is it, you know, do you want to find out how they're feeling? Is that beneficial? 
I mean, sometimes we don't realize when our partners are hurt or frightened or nervous. Yeah. Well, and we're not necessarily socialized for that either, are we? Both men and women, and we know that historically men are less socialized to ask for about feelings. So we're not, again, we're not taught and we're not, is it okay? I mean, the question, this is, this is a question we, we um, absolutely ask people to ask in business and they go, that's way too personal. And it's all because we're afraid of what does it mean if I ask somebody the question, how does that make you feel? And that is a, that's, that's another one of the most powerful questions is just, how did that make you feel? When you open up that door, again, you start to uncover and discover things about the person you're with that you would never find out if you didn't ask that question. And it's just really about making it okay that you don't have to solve it. You don't have to make it okay. It's just being present with that person with, with what they're sharing, whether that's anger or sadness or frustration or happiness for that matter. It's about sharing that experience with them and, and when you ask that question. And just quickly, we just have about 30 seconds left. Um, we've talked a lot about interpersonal relationships, but, but for business, listening is good for the bottom line, you say in your book. Tell me how that, um, why that is. Well, I'll take meetings alone. You know, I think it was just two years ago, there was a study, 75 million estimated in losses of Fortune 500 companies because of wasted time in meetings. And it's because we're talking at each other and not with each other. And we're assuming alignment when that hasn't happened. So we're just in an inordinate amount of meetings without really getting to the right the right problems and the right issues. So it's, it's incredibly costly from that standpoint. It's incredibly costly from a sales standpoint and so it much is. more. So there's just, yeah. Christine, thank you so much. Christine Miles, what, did it, what is it costing you not to listen? It's available on Amazon. Thanks so much. We'll get you back. This is such an important conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Coming up next, we're going to talk about sexual wellness. Oh, yes, we are. I'm Maureen McGrath. This is the Sunday Night Health Show that you're listening to. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Night Health Show podcast. You can subscribe, rate, or review on your favorite podcast app. And if you've got a question about your health, the nurse is always in. So email me, nursetalk at hotmail.com, and I just might answer your question anonymously, of course, on next week's show. For now, have a happy and healthy week.